Welcome to another sermon podcast from All Souls Anglican Church, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Thanks for joining us as we study God's Word together. These weekly sermons are part of the teaching ministry of our church. Have your Bible ready as we begin this week's sermon. And stay tuned when we finish at the end to find out more about us. Now, my dear friends, this is the uh, final sermon in our sermon series on the letter of James. And our study this evening are the last uh, two verses, verses 19 and 20 of chapter 5. Now, what I want to point out to you right away is once again how James addresses these disparate congregations of Jewish believers as my brothers and sisters. Now, we've seen this over and over in the letter, actually in every chapter, but the most frequent use of it is in chapter 5. Now, notice also this phrase, anyone among you, repeats itself, as it has in verses 13 and 14, which have preceded it. So when we pull these two markers together, we can see that James ends with his initial concern, mutual care within the local church. Earlier, he was concerned with division of rich and poor, the partiality amongst believers. Here, in verses 14 and 15, we saw there's a question of sickness and a question of sin in the background. And also in verse 16a, the case of how to deal with the conviction of sin and to heal a broken fellowship. And then we saw last time we were together how in a parenthetical foundation, as it were, the assurance that the prayer of faith of the righteous person is of sufficient power and effectiveness in prayer for the whole body of believers. Here in verses 19 and 20, is the case of someone in the fellowship of the local church who is slipping away, indeed, into sin and death. Now, what's to be done? There's a difference in this final case that James diagnoses and treats. In the previous two, the person has realized there's a need for either physical or spiritual help. But here, there is no such call to the individual Rather, it is to another within the congregation who, by the evidence of their own eyes, can see that someone else in their circle is slipping away. Now, isn't it interesting how there are two types of attitudes when it comes to, say, something like sickness? Now, there are those who think of illness as very much a private matter. You may ask in conversation, how are you? And they might say, well, they're a bit off or under the weather, which means they probably have a cold or the flu. A next stage might be they've told you that they go to the doctor. They've been to the doctor, they've gotten a prescription, or perhaps they're really sick. In the last stage, you won't hear from them, but from another, that they're in the hospital, which is quite serious. But there are others who think of illness as a very public thing casual question, how are you again? And they'll point out where on their body the problem is. They'll go into scientific names for their illness, describe, God forbid, the details of bodily fluids, rattle off the pharmaceutical names for their medication, detailed scheduled doctor visit descriptions, 
but they think of the physician or the healthcare workers. They might even explain their latest test results and you start to look at your watch and boy, oh boy, how long is this going to go on? Two types. But the sickness that's rarely mentioned in the church, which James addresses here, in the church itself or in public prayer, is a sickness that uh, is the most serious of all, according to the Apostle James. Indeed, one could argue the entire New Testament is written because of this sickness. James must have seen it before. We know the Apostle Paul did, because in Galatians 6 he writes this, If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. We saw in our study of the Sermon to the Hebrews that the whole reason for that sermon arose because of the danger of Jewish believers wandering, drifting away back to the practices of the temple, drifting from the Lord Jesus Christ. So James gives warning in Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10. Here he does three things. He describes the sickness, the treatment, and the motivation. The first is the description. It's in 19a. If anyone among you wanders from the truth. I want to focus on his choice of verb here, wanders. In the original, the semantic range has both a physical and a philosophical emphasis. Now, the first one you may know, the physical, because it has a root of our English word, planet. The ancient Greeks, by regular observation of the night sky, saw that there were five, saw there were five stars that would move forward across the sky at night, after night, pause, and then move backwards in a retrograde motion. It's that forward pause and backward motion from our perspective on the Earth that gave the collective name to the planets, the the wanderers, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. So there's this sense of progress, then of regression of the planets that was then applied more abstractly to the notion of self-deception, having the appearance, but not the reality. This is where James goes, the idea of deception, self-deception. It's where we rationalize our spiritual regression fall into a sinful act, perhaps, my thinking, well, it's only a small thing, and in the balance, everything else is okay, so I can handle this one. Notice what James writes here, beware, he says, such rationalizations may have you wander into death, into spiritual death. What are the signs of this? Well, we have several New Testament examples of what's at the core There's Hymenaeus and Philetus in 2 Timothy 2, of whom Paul writes that they said the resurrection had already happened, allowing a a almost proto-form of the prosperity gospel. Ananias and Sapphira desired to gain status, earthly status, amongst the members of the early church. Demas, again in 2 Timothy, deserts Paul. Why? because he is in love with this present world. 
Can you see what the common thread is? The common thread is how all three examples are lacking in affection for the Lord Jesus Christ to such an extent that they've paused in their progression and they've begun to regress, to wander into a love of the world or of worldly status. Now I'm sure we either know or have known people like this. The final symptom we saw in Hebrews, they stopped meeting with one another. They stopped meeting together. But the first is hidden for a time as the self-deception does its work. In that internal monologue, we all can have, oh, it's, it's nothing, it's nothing, it's no big thing. That's the description, so what's the treatment? Well, we find that in verse 19. Someone brings him back. That's the treatment. Someone brings him back. Now notice how he doesn't tell us to call for the elders or the presbyter, the priest or the deacon. It's someone, anyone. Once again, we can see how James learned this biblical principle, where he's learned so much in our study of this letter, as we've noted, in, from the Lord Jesus himself. Indeed, it's his most famous parable, perhaps, the Good Samaritan. You remember it. The priest passes by the Jew who was robbed and beaten and left for dead. He sees the wounded, bloodied man at the side of the road, crosses to the other side, and thinks to himself, well, someone should do something. A Levite comes as well. The same thing. Someone should do something. But it is the Samaritan who makes the costly stop. He stains his clothes with his blood, perhaps. Loses time in his journey, loses money at the inn. And for the treatment of this beaten-up Jewish victim. And the Lord Jesus turned to the questioner who originally asked, Who was my neighbor? And asked him the question, Who do you think was the neighbor to the victim? And the inquirer answers, Well, it was the one who showed mercy. Yes, Jesus says, Now you go and do likewise. You bring him back. Now, it's not you notice someone wandering and then you go to the presbyter to sort it out. Indeed, the priest should be the last resort, not the first one. It's not as though the priest should go knocking at the door like a spiritual police officer. Now is it? So what do you do? What do you do? Well, the New Testament gives us a five-part pattern. You might want to write these things down. The first, be prayerful for them. They go right to the top of your prayer list. The second, be willing to spend time with them. Seek them out. The third, be gentle with them. Gentle. The fourth, be brave, but sensitive. And fifth, be there when they are restored, when they return. 
Now, where does this pattern come from? We see it in our Savior's relationships, particularly with Peter, the disciple, the one who regularly wandered from the truth. We know Jesus prayed for him. He was the top of his prayer list. In Luke 22, he said this to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. Now, as far as spending time, well, we can mark the months, the days, the hours the Lord Jesus spent with Peter in the course of his earthly ministry. Peter was witness to those great acts for all those years. We can also recall how he rebuked Peter when Peter rejects the possibility of the crucifixion of the Messiah or when Peter insisted how all may desert him but he would remain steadfast. The Lord Jesus sensitively but directly and bravely says this, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. And the Luke records our Savior's gentleness again when the terrible moment comes. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord. And he went out and wept bitterly. And then in the Gospel of John, the final chapter, we have the record of Peter's restoration. As our resurrected Savior asks him three times by the lakeside, do you love me? Each time, remembering and erasing Peter's denial in reaffirmation and welcoming the wander back home. Now you can do these things too. One who is a willing servant of the Lord Jesus will inevitably absorb and learn his fivefold pattern of restoration for the wanderer. Now, what of the motivation? That's in verse 20. Whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now you see the encouragement that James gives as he ends. The Lord Jesus, he reminds us, left the glory of heaven to bring you, me, and James, his half-brother, all of us wanderers, far from God, enemies of God, he came to bring you home. So James's point is simple. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who saves. It's the Holy Spirit that works the transformation in each one of us, who impresses upon the wanderer and brings the truth of the gospel once again into their hearts, into their ears. But it's believers who become instruments of both the Savior and the Spirit. God The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit uses the children of God as his instruments to bring the lost home. And the great encouragement is here too. We're not to be 
What did I say? Bulls in the china shop, the moral police. But to know one certain thing, the joy that comes when the wanderer is restored. We know this again from our Lord Jesus Christ. It's his teaching parables. Luke 15 tells us the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin. You remember those. How do they end? The word goes out, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. What are the parable of the lost son? Word goes out, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. It's joy, joy. And so as our study of James's letter draws to a close, the final question he has for us is, is whom do you know who is or has wandered? Are you praying for them? Have you sought them out? Spend time with them? The goal to restore them? How many have you done this to? Perhaps you say, well, I'm shy. And bringing another one home is for the outgoing person, the one who has the conviction to seek out the lost sheep, the lost coin. Well, yeah. Then try this. Be prayerful for them. Let the work of the Holy Spirit in prayer work on their heart and work on yours. It won't be long before you want to spend time with them. And the last question is simple. Are you wandering? We've all wandered, haven't we? There's good news. Jesus is pursuing you. And he would love to restore you. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about us by going to our website, allsoulsnj.org. There you can support our mission by making a one-time donation or starting a podcast member subscription by clicking the support the show link under the contact us tab. You can also support us in prayer by clicking the email newsletter tab at the top. All Souls Anglican Church. Simple church, ancient truth, real people, new life.